Card presents Back Issue Bloodbath with your hosts, Andrew Young and Petula Neal. This week, we're here to talk about a colorist who also is a writer, but as a colorist is considered the colorist in comics today. Now, some people might be thinking, what's the big deal about a colorist? Well, as this colorist once said, colorists are the unknown amazing backup singer who makes every track awesome. And today we're going to be talking about someone who makes everything they do in comics pretty awesome. Welcome to Backstreet Bloodbath. I'm Andrew Young. I'm Petula Neal. And this week we are doing another creator spotlight. This one is on Jordi Belair, considered by many in the comics industry as the pinnacle of colorists, but is also a very accomplished comic writer as well, who's done some great miniseries, series, and one-shots that we're probably going to talk about today. But of course, we're definitely going to talk about the color as well. Petula, I know as a writer, you were introduced to Jordy through Buffy, correct? I think so. I think that's definitely like of things I could find physically and digitally in the home that that Buffy reboot, the re-reboot. Yeah. That was one of the first ones where I really like noticed her and it was her writing. So then after that, it, it just seemed like everything I touched, like, oh, this looks beautiful. She colored it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember with that Buffy series, because I think you even touched on it back when it was coming out on the show here, that it was something that it had the feel of the show, but corrected some of its more problematic elements. Yeah. It's just, and, Again, in the rear view now, we know there's clearly some reasons that certain characters did things that they did. However, at its core, we can't dismiss the impact that Buffy's had. Mm. So many people, especially women, talk about what that show did, the character. She still inspires stuff to this day. Buffy's eternal. And somebody like Jordy, who is possibly the most self-aware Floridian I've ever heard interviewed (laughs) in all of the ways, like doesn't deny like her Florida heritage. Actually, it's a lot of that is in one of her other Eisner award-winning titles. Like the way she takes this character that we all love and is so true to the original, but is aware of would somebody like Buffy even put up with like half of the stuff Xander said to her at any point in mm. the show. No, but we don't have to worry about that because this Xander doesn't do that. Like this is one that I actually would be that good of a friend. Like he had great moments, but he was also like Loki, every worst impulse, like every sort of weird, you know, the idea of the friend zone comes from the Xander energy. Well, I'm here and I think your boyfriend's bad. You should love me. I should have some ownership over your like decisions with your body, like all that weird stuff. That's gone, but she's good at pluck. I will say that whether it's like a Buffy or even later on, like a young Diana. And when she writes, she usually doesn't color the tales of the Amazon stuff. She's great at pluck in all the good ways. Like a plucky broad is my favorite thing for her to write. It's interesting. Her, her path is like, she talked about when she got out of art school, she wanted to get into comics and then realized there's a lot more than just writing and drawing. There's like a machine, you know, lettering, coloring, designing, editing. And because she was always a fan of like lighting and coloring in film, she kind of ended up 
going into the coloring because she felt that illustrations didn't match what the big screen had. The way that they were lighting and color and the look of film, she wanted to bring those kind of colors to the comic book page. She was like, a lot of people think it's paint by numbers, but there's a lot you can do to manipulate the reader through color. And she feels that some people then don't even go deep enough because there's a lot of people that go, oh yeah, well there's color theory. And she's like, there's a thing called color psychology about how you, if you make the sky red to signify foreshadowing or trauma, or if you make the sky completely stark white to show the emptiness and meaninglessness of whatever's happening to the characters. Like they might be like dealing with life crisis and things like that. And so she kind of brought, like, I know that other colorists have thought about this before her, but she's the one that kind of brought this to the mainstream, brought this to the audience and say, this is why we're important. And I feel like the most she did about that would probably be with her Tumblr post back in 2013. I'm mad and I'm not going to take it anymore. Where some convention that she doesn't mention put out a statement saying, yeah, we're only interested in writers and artists. Colorists not, need not apply. Colorists aren't allowed at this show. We're not, we're not going to give you a table if you're a colorist sort of thing. And she ended up breaking down every reason why colorists are like arguably the most important job in comics. And it is the one that like we talked to, we talked with Paris about how people don't see how important it is. Colors, colorist always has the shortest amount of time to get their job done, everything like that. She pointed that out and she was like, we get paid less than an artist and given less time and given less of the respect, but without us, their art is unfinished in a comic. Unless it's, you know, of course, a black and white, but then, of course, a black and white is never just a black and white. Those people are, you know, there's some kind of shading, which, you know, depth of field and stuff like that. And this Tumblr post caught enough traction back in 2013 that it kind of sparked January 24th being Colorist Appreciation Day, where people were celebrating color work and comics on on Twitter. And it's like things like that that Belair I find really impressive. Like she's also credited with starting the whole comics are for everybody initiative to make comic book communities more inclusive and compassionate. So not only is she someone who's incredibly skilled and is, you know, arguably the best there is at what she does, <laughs> she's also somebody that looked around and went, Oh, somebody should say something about this. Yeah. And even with those things, she is always the first to kind of credit other people. Yeah. And even like the comics were very, she's like, well, you know, other people had t-shirts and stuff, but ours kind of just hit at a time where people were really getting it. It's the, I'm just part of something that I love energy. Like the amount of self-deprecation compared to like her volume and body of work and the just sheer excellence is it's, it's interesting. Mm. Like, I wonder, like, does she look at her work and think, eh, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yet others, like, again, like, I know that there's an energy coming off of her colors. Like, and then I remember one time I was talking with Michael Walsh and Michael Walsh was like, yeah, I'm doing like two issues for, I can't remember what series it was. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. He's like, he goes, and Jordi Belair is coloring it. She's like the rock star of color. So I'm yes. like, okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's pretty cool. When, when your artist gets extra excited about a job because they find out that you're the colorist, that's pretty cool. She 
makes me think about an interview with, and I can't remember her name now, the director of the first Twilight, who used to be a production designer, when she talked about her approach to everything from working with the different department heads and costume and everything else for that movie. And all of it comes into what you're talking about earlier, which is mood. I can open like any page of something that she's worked on and I don't have to know about the characters, but the colors help me know how I should feel. And the way that she kind of toys with, we're going to give you same palette, palette, palette. Then when, especially in anything with violence or horror, then when we get like a splash of red, especially reds and sidebar, I'm going to have to struggle to like not make this all about the Black Widow run that we love so much, listener, because that's <laughs> really where between the bodies dropping and what she does with the hair and that one, it's just, whew. but yeah, the reds when it comes in with violence and we just sort of get like a spatter across, like a very controlled palette that she may have given us for like, you know, anywhere from a few panels to a few pages. It's the artistry it's the restraint as well because mm -hmm. she can go from being like it's very kind of painterly to we're getting very clean kind of traditionally what you would think of like this looks like a cartoon comic-y to something that's more stark and like subtle and we're just getting lots of shadow and vibes if you go from nice house on the lake to like even nowhere man where it's just like crispy, crispy, crispy. That's what I love about her work. And at some point when I was prepping for this, I kind of just gave up because one, I've read so much, but I've read a lot of the stuff she's worked on, like when it came out. Yeah. Like I can't do what I do sometimes, which is like, I'll just reread everything. It's like, or like, I'll reread all my favorites. Like, no, that's insane. I go blind. We've all talked about how we love the Hawkeyes. Even in some of the interviews of her, she talks about how she loves Devaha. When she comes in with the Kate stuff, and if you've read that, you know, classic award winning, like we all love it, like that Hawkeye series that was like the visual inspiration for the show, the way once we get to the Kate stuff and we go to the West Coast and it like punches through with literally the difference between East Coast, West Coast. If you've ever gone to L.A. as somebody who lives on the East Coast, it's literally like this is too much light. Like I can't like what is this open air malls <laughs> she brings that in and that that contrast between Kate and Clint that even though they're wearing complimentary outfits that are allegedly like it's the same color somehow it just it's brighter especially when we get the case stuff we're driving around with the pizza dog in a convertible like she's just busting through the scenes but then when she comes back to the east coast when she's visiting clint it's muted but you can feel like her energy is like coming through a little more her colors are are astounding and so for me in 2017 when I see a new book on the stands called Redlands and I see Jordi Belair, I'm like, okay, the colorist. And I find her, no, no, this is the writer. And I pick up the book and it ended up going on my, my top 10 comics of the year that year. Such an interesting kind of idea of like, let's take this little kind of, you know, backwater Floridian township, have it that three witches have kind of come in taken out the bad, which was the uh, the police department at the time, and have kind of become the new caretakers of the town, the the, the new police department. Who they're have the to, new sheriffs. Yeah, yeah, they're the new sheriffs in town. 
and how the unspeakable evil that comes in to try to destroy them. I remember reading that book. I was going so fast through the pages because I was just so into the story. It felt like an HBO show, you know? Yeah, that, yeah, that kind of like darkness to it. And the characters, it's like even the characters you're rooting for got a little bit of darkness in them. It was exciting. And I don't know, when did you, did you get a chance to check that out recently or did you check that out back in the day? I checked it out recently and also then listened to an interview where she talks about the creative process with that and how she really enjoyed uh, working with Vanessa Del Rey because yeah. she's also from Florida. So her doing the writing, she didn't have to sort of explain the visual language and and even like the interstitial pages having oh this looks like somewhere very sweaty in florida like just <laughs> full of mosquitoes i don't know if they are photos or if it's just very photoreal interstitial pages in between the bits of the book but she tells a pretty i'm not gonna say harrowing because hashtag not all police hashtag not all women but also lots and also some and many she talks about a crime when she was younger and i think like a place she lived was broken into or something and she was almost as concerned about calling the police as she was about the crime just because she'd had so many mornings even from like other men in her life and you know the cop came and apparently was like super chill very professional and as she's thanking him for basically doing the job he's supposed to be doing like and mm. professionally and not like creeping her out at all the officers told her, yeah, you're right to be worried. <laughs> and left. Jeez. And she tells this story very matter-of-factly. And I'm just like, uh-huh, yeah. Because that's the thing. It's just, there's been many times when I'm like, I feel like a couple of witches wrecking everything. I'd, we'd all be a lot safer. <laughs> yeah, would there be like the odd demon possession? Sure. But overall, it's like, you know what their agenda is. They're pretty upfront with it. But that sort of looming feeling of dread and that in the things that she writes, and I would say arguably she's still storytelling with her colors. Yeah. In the things that she colors that where it's, you know, a female led title, you get that kind of almost defiant energy, like in the face of constantly like either being in peril or having to fight either for myself or others, like it's main character color energy. I yeah, I really love the series, but uh, one one story that I read recently that you actually brought to my attention back in 2021 is the Wonder Woman: The Adventures of Young Diana special. I think that was that was on your best comics of the year that year, I believe. It's so adorable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, drawn by uh, Polina Ganesho, and of course written by Jordy. It's a lot of fun, and it's one of those things where it's like, yes, it's a comic you can give to a kid. But there's a lot of like intentional thought put into the characters in the sense that an adult can get something out of it as well. And think of all of the stuff you love, regardless of how you feel about the DCEU, about all the young Diana stuff, just super plucky little gal. And she's got some friends. It's mostly ladies. Here's the thing. You have to be willing to read a title where it's very strong lady energy, but Almost in a, I imagine like My Little Pony people would like this. And even the art in this, although she doesn't do the art and the color kind of gives me that it's very bright. It's very pastel-y. But the Diana in this is that, that level of optimism that you want mm. from a young Diana. Like she hasn't seen the worst of man's world because she's just, she's still on the island. 
She's got all these great female role models. She's getting in scraps and adventures. This book, I was actually sort of making a short list of titles that I was going to give to my uh, cousin's son. And then I started to flip through it again. I was like, hmm, maybe not. <laughs> I want to keep this for myself. <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm, I've got to give it to him. Because also, I think this is a great book, not just for little girl people, but I think it's good for like all little people. Oh, yeah, like, of course. One of the things that I love about her writing is because she's such a good color. She really trusts the art. So there's a real economy of words, but we're getting vibes and we're getting even at a young age, young Diana and her friends have that strong Themyscira ethos. Yeah. It's like it's good, good work ethic. No, totally. Like, and also we're little warriors. We got to scrap. We got to trade. We yeah. got to be good. And also just the the extra message in this about you can't hide you you have to own up for your past mistakes even if you're ashamed of them you have to acknowledge them you can't hide them you have to accept everything that has come before and the mistakes you've made and move on not try to rewrite history i thought that was a really cool message to have in the middle of this book because there's a lot of people out there that are you know as we know that even now because of the way media works and everything people are trying to rewrite history the moment it happens and they cry but then they dust themselves off and get back and start scrapping again. Yeah, yeah. I think this is a great book for little people. You know what? I'm going to give this. I'm going to put this back in the pile for that kid. I, <laughs> I feel bad. Okay. I was like, if I'm, I'm going to keep this for myself. If I am out and about and I see a, another copy of it out there, I'll yeah. pick it up just for you. There. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No. And you know, for, if you have a reluctant reader in your life as well, this is another great title for that because – there's just so much action in every pan. And we know the writing of a book isn't just what you see in the word bubbles. But she does, and she's talked about this as well, especially when she's writing, she's more likely to give her art partners that freedom mm. to work with in her script because she knows how much story they can tell with their art. Yeah, so, of course. Yeah, you get a lot of beautiful pages, but I know like, I know without ever seeing like what the original script looked like for this, that energy that, you know, if Diana's sitting on a beach looking up on the moon and it's just like probably one of the most beautiful pages and it's also one they use on like the back of the, the first collection. I know that was in her writing mm -hmm. like that. She's always looking for what she can do, reflecting on what she did well, think about what she could have done better. Like that Diana energy, like the best, the Linda Carter basically of it all. It's like that, but in just adorable little girl. Yeah. Yeah. No, some fantastic yeah. stuff. Yeah. She's the reason I think that I went with DC that year. It's such an anomaly pick for me for like publisher of the year. Yeah. Not not her, but her, a combination of her and Stephanie, because that was the year that it's like she was doing this for DC. All mm. like the beginning of Stephanie's like Nubia stuff was coming out. The Yara Floor stuff. Oh, mm. my God. Yeah. What a time. What a year for Wonder Woman and the related themiscira squad and it really brought life back into it because we know you know the movies get more attention and even like if you google so many of our favorite heroes now movie stuff kind of jumps up to the top of seo but like the yeah. books are where you get the new people like little people old fans coming back to things when they see like oh this is like back to the core of what this character loved but even in different flavors now. So somebody like her, again, that's so good at writing a plucky broad 
or a plucky little broad in this case. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're here to announce her next book, Plucky Little Broad. It's coming out from. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> that would be a great series, like like a Little Miss series, but like Little Miss Pluck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. little oh, plucky broad. Yeah. yeah, I picture it in like a little Lulu style, little plucky broad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, anyways, there is, as I said, there's probably a good chance that you've seen, if you're a comics fan, you've seen her color work in the past ten or fifteen years. A lot of great stuff out there, but uh, definitely some of these books that we mentioned, like Redlands and Wonder Woman, The Adventures of Young Diana. And it's not all girl stuff. Joe Fix It. Yeah. The the broiest of bros. The broiest of bros. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Professor Hulk goes to Vegas, basically. It's wild. It is wild. Yeah. yeah. It's really wild. Some Ant-Man stuff. Like, literally, if you think of a character you like, she's probably done something. If you think of some of your favorite independent works, she may have worked on those as well. She's everywhere. She's ubiquitous. And if you're in the comic book store... And you like either get scared or want to start crying as you're flipping through a page. She might've colored it. There you go. There you go. So definitely check her out. We've come to the end of another episode of back issue bloodbath. Petula, where can people find you? At inatif.com on social things at Obesa Cantao at O-B-E-S-A-C-A-N-T-A-V-I-T and here with you. Here we go. You find everything I do over at geekardshow.com. Follow me on Twitter at geekard. Follow me on Instagram at andrew underscore of underscore geek underscore hard. And of course, you can follow this very show on Facebook at Back Issue Bloodbath, where we post a new episode every week. But the easiest way to make sure you don't miss an episode is to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice. And uh, everybody out there, stay safe and read comics. This has been Back Issue Bloodbath. I've been Andrew Young. I've been Petula Neal. Have yourself a good. <laughs>